Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Good to have you here. It is our hope that you've had a safe and healthy and happy Christmas holiday. By virtue of the very fact that you're being here, that means that you've survived the holidays. I hope your experience this was better than the story of the husband and the wife who were shopping together a few days before Christmas. And they were running way behind, and the wife was in a hurry to get her husband to, to do this and do this. They had presents to buy, things to go, places to, to be to. And they had agreed beforehand that if they got separated, they were to meet at such and such a place at such and such a time. Well, they got separated. The husband and the wife comes back together. The, the wife comes at the correct time, but the husband's not there. She waits five more minutes, ten minutes. She picks up the phone, calls him on his cell phone, and he had barely answered hello to she screams into the phone, Where are you? You know we've got a thousand things to do. You're late already. He, in a very calm voice, says, Honey, do you remember years ago we went into that little jewelry store? And you saw that diamond necklace that you fell in love with, but we were so poor I couldn't afford it for you. And I made you that promise that at one day I would buy you that diamond necklace. <gasps> A lump caught in her throat. Tears began to stream down her eyes, and finally she got out. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. I remember that store. He said, well, I'm right next door to it in the Starbucks having a cup of coffee. I would guess his holiday was not as good as yours was. If you would, I hope you're already at the book of 3 John. That's where we're going to be looking at for our lesson this morning. The book of 3 John. It's a wonderful book that God has preserved for us. It's a book full of love, a book full of encouragement. It's a book full of support. But it also carries with it a warning to us as Christians. So let's look at what John has to reveal to us as he writes this letter to a beloved brother of the faith. Verse 1, 3 John. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. John was an elderly man at this time. Many take that the elder meant that John was referring to himself this way. If you notice, John never refers to himself as John in this letter. As in 2 John, uh, he starts it off as the elder. Now, it was a common practice in the first century that a lot of the apostles were known as an elder as well. John, at the time of this writing, was the last surviving apostle. So he was indeed the elder. He was the only surviving elder. So as he, and uh, apostle, so as he writes this letter, all who read it would know who wrote it. The elder, the surviving apostle, John. And notice the term of endearments that he used to Gaius, who he's writing this letter to. He says, well beloved. Can you note that intimate relationship that he has with Gaius here? Well beloved. You know that they know each other, and they know each other very well. 
He said, whom I love in the truth. That term in the truth means in the word of God, in the Lord. It means one who follows the Lord, one who does the will of the Lord. John was drawn to Gaius because of Gaius' love for the Lord, for his church, for his kingdom. He loved him dearly. And he's going to tell him why in this letter he loves him so much. He says in verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. John knew of the faith. He knew of the fidelity of Gaius. And he says, I, I know that you're prospering in the matter of your soul. That is, I know that you're prospering spiritually. But he said, I wish for you similarly that you would prosper in general, that you would prosper in all things. Particularly, I wish, I hope that you prosper in regards to your health. And what more could we ask for our brothers and sisters? Isn't that a beautiful blessing to give to one another? I hope, I wish, I pray that as you prosper spiritually, that you would prosper in all things, particularly in regards to your health. It's getting our priorities straight as we give one another this beautiful blessing that John just gave to Gaius here. Our spiritual health our physical health, and then prosperity. long as we get our priorities right, we'll understand it. Too many times, though, the world and even into the church wants to get the prosperity ahead of our spiritual health, our spiritual prosperity. We have to have our priorities right. So our prayers for the church, for one another, should be, that we use these great blessings that God has abundantly given to us, our spiritual growth, our physical health, and our prosperity, as we have service then into God, to one another, and to our fellow man. Then he says in verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. He said he didn't just rejoice, but look at that, that qualifier that he puts on. He said, I rejoiced greatly. Well, what brought John this great joy? He said, it was when the brethren came and they told me about what you were doing. When the brethren came. Now, this term in the Greek indicates it was a continuing action. It was several actions. Several times, several reports that John had gotten about Gaius. wasn't just a one-time thing. It was several things. When the brethren came and they testified, that word testified means that they were witnesses. They were eyewitnesses. These brethren were that came back to John of what Gaius was doing. That brought these good reports to John. In, in that day and time, these, these travelers, these, these uh, uh, probably missionaries, visiting preachers, we know that uh, at that day and age, the church didn't have the seated preachers much as we have today. 
So they were dependent upon some who proclaimed the gospel to go from territory to territory, church to church. And those brethren that preached and taught as they traveled from congregation to congregation, they were at the mercy and the love of the brethren of those congregations to receive them, to support them, to give them food and shelter, and to care for them. This was what Gaius was doing to these travelers, to these missionaries, to these preachers. And they are bringing these good reports of what Gaius had been doing. They were bringing them back to John of his good Christian deeds. Now John says because he was doing these good Christian deeds, look at that term that he uses. He walketh in the truth. That is his faithfulness to the doctrine of Christ. Part of the faithfulness of the doctrine of Christ is taking care of those who proclaim the gospel. The early church knew the truth. The early church obeyed the truth. John here himself testifies by the use of the word that members of the church in that day walked in the truth. Giving us a great example. Let's look at our lives. Can we today, can we this morning say that we do indeed walk in the truth? We need to be asking ourselves that question. Gaius was of a good report to John. He was walking in the truth. Verse 4. For I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Nothing brought him as much joy. Nothing, John says, brings me as much joy as when I hear that my children walk in the truth. That they're faithful. And not only are they faithful, but he keeps hearing good reports of the deeds that they've done. Now I know as being a preacher out at Pleasant Cove for several years, and this year preaching out at Smyrna, I always told the congregation I was preaching to that they were my kids. And I understand exactly what John is saying here. There's nothing that touches a preacher's heart more than seeing his kids get it, to obey the truth, to live in the truth, to walk in the truth, and to hear reports of good deeds that they are doing. But in contrast, there's no greater sadness than hearing that your kids have fallen away from the truth, that they're no longer faithful to the gospel of Christ. That indeed breaks your heart. Verse 5. Beloved, thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and the strangers. John here commends Gaius. He says, you do this thing faithfully. What is that, that thing he does? That's his hospitality. And he says, you don't just do it to the brethren, that is, the people that you know, but you're doing it to these strangers, these preachers, these missionaries, these these travelers that that, that come into your era. Gaius is opening up his house. He's opening up his life. He's opening up his heart to these who travel into his area. John says, by doing so, you do well. He's opening up himself to people he's never met before. And this action in Greek uh, notes that it's a continuing effort. It's not just one time that he's done this. He continually, he habitually, 
opens up his house, his home, his life, to these who are traveling into the area. These early travelers, preachers, missionaries, they depended on the faithful to have room and board. There was no holiday inns. There was no Motel 6s to keep the light on for you. And for the most part, the poverty of the great church, of the early church, meant that uh, it was only a few brethren who had the means and the homes, the opportunity to care for these travelers, to support them, to care for them, and take care of them. So uh, Gaius was blessed, and he used his blessings to help others. So that John says in verse 6, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Which, which being these travelers, these preachers, these missionaries, they come back, they told John, they told the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou doest well. These brethren had testified of John's, of Gaius' good works to John and to the church. And you can almost tell John's excitement his enthusiasm in these words as he writes them to Gaius and how proud he is of Gaius for understanding the Christian faith and demonstrating it in his life for Gaius' love of the Lord and his love of the brethren. And John uses an interesting phrase here. He said, you bring them forward or you set them forward on your journey. You know, we even today, we've got different customs on if somebody's in the house, if we're the visitor, if we're the host, and somebody's leaving. We, we do things different. You may have been visiting in somebody's house, and you get ready to go, and it's time to leave, and the host is just sitting there, and he's watching that TV, and good to see you, come back when you can. Or there may be some, they'll get up, and they'll shake your hand, they may hug you when you leave. Some others may walk you to the door when you leave. You may have a few who will stand out on the front porch and watch you get in your car and wave to you as you pull out the driveway. Some may even walk to your car with you. We do it differently. But the early church, what they did as they brought them forward or sat them forward on their journey, their custom was to accompany these visitors along the way. They went with them as they left. They walked with them. They set them or started them on their journey. And John says, when you do this after a godly sort, you do well. Well, this godly sort means the, the whole measure of your hospitality. To not just help them on their journey by being with them, but supply what they need. Give them the food, the money, the means to travel, companions to go with them. Realize that for the most part, they're strangers in a strange area. They've never been there before. Wasn't no road signs like we have today. Wasn't no GPS. Wasn't no Google Maps. So you walked with them. It was often dangerous territory to be in. They needed protection. You sent them on the way. You walked with them until you turned them over to somebody else. When they were in your care, they were your responsibility. So the full measure of your hospitality and your love was extended unto them. John said, if you do this, you do well. You do well. Now, John is teaching us 
that we have a responsibility, a huge debt we owe to those who give their lives in the service of preaching and teaching others. John is telling us we need to be responsible for them because they're willing to uproot their lives and do what we're not willing to do. How many of you are willing this week to go in, quit your job, and decide you're going to be a missionary? I don't think many of us would be willing to do that. But there's men and women that do it all the time. And those men and women need to be supported. And for the most part, they're not. They have to come to congregations with their hat in their hand, begging for help. I know I've introduced missionaries to elders of congregations trying to get help. And it's often a very humbling process when you do so. I know one eldership said we'd like to help, but we just uh, blacktopped our parking lot. We just paved it. Can't do it. I guess having a smooth blacktop meant more than preaching the gospel of Christ. We need to realize we've got a responsibility. And it's not just the churches. It's every individual that sits here. We have a responsibility to those who give their lives to Christ, who's out there taking the gospel. The words of Christ are still in effect, the Great Commission. Go you into the world. If we're not willing to go, we better support those that are willing to go. Something to think about. John says why here. Look at verse 7. Because that for his name's sake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. These workers, these preachers, these missionaries, they're working in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, taking the good news of the gospel out into the world. And where they went and where they would preach, they did not take anything from the Gentiles. So how are they going to live? Like Paul, a lot of them were self-supporting or tried to be, but they still needed to help. So John says while we need to help and support them. Look at verse, the next verse. We therefore ought to receive such. Now Gaius was receiving them into their home, that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. John's telling us Christians need to be more welcome, care for, and support those who labor within God's kingdom. And we are to, to, to give them the, the support, the aid, the relief in which they need. John says, when you do this, you become co-workers with them. Paul used the same expression in his letters when he wrote about this very thing of support. When the churches help and support those, when individuals help and support the mission works, you become co-workers with them. Their works become your works. We share with them in their labor. We share with them in their love. Ah, and we share with them in the reward. Remember, John said, when you do this, you do well. Now, verse 9, he's going to turn the tone of his letter just a little bit to Gaius. He said, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. John, in his letter, is going to turn from one who is good and faithful, that is Gaius, from talking about him, to turning the talking about one who is not good and who is not faithful in the church. That is Diotrephes. John said, I've written into the church. That letter's not been preserved. Could have been that he wrote the church where Diotrephes was at 
and the Diotrephes destroyed that letter. But anyway, nothing is known of who this Diotrephes is except that is mentioned. His name is mentioned right here. Uh, we know that uh, this name is found in very noble and uh, ancient families. So we can assume, and we remember, this is just an assumption that we're making. It's not godly fact. We're going to make the assumption that this was a man of wealth, a man of prominence, a man of social standing. And we will see that he is also a proud, arrogant, rude individual who is used to having his way. And John tells us that this Diotrephes did not receive them. Whether it was John himself who had come forward, whether it was a letter that he had sent, whether it was emissaries on the part of John that he had sent to the church where Diotrephes was at, or whether this us means the authority of the apostolic command that John could render. Whatever John meant by this, Diotrephes did not receive them. And why? Why didn't Diotrephes receive them? John said it's because he loved the preeminence. That is the superiority, the prominence, the stature, the fame. He was power hungry. He wanted to have his way in everything. And sadly, he's not been the last within the Lord's church to act like this. Look at verse 10, though. John says, Wherefore, if I come, and that, that if is not conditional, that if is when. He, he used the word wherefore, connecting it to the preceding verse because of what Diotrephes was doing. When I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words. And not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth out them out of the church. John says he's going to be coming to tell the church about Diotrephes. He's going to be coming and he's going to be revealing his deeds to the church. He's going to be exposing him before all to see. He was guilty. Look, notice what John says he was guilty of. Not, not only was he guilty of not receiving these brethren himself that Gaius was receiving, Diotrephes was not. But any individual who spoke up for and supported those who would receive them or those who actually housed and supported them, Diotrephes would throw them out of the church. Well, we read that today and we say, well, how can that happen? No church would stand for that, would they? Why didn't the church reject Diotrephes? We're not told. But we're going to make this assumption. Here you go. It's, it's another assumption we're going to make here. But suppose because he was this rich and powerful man, he might have been the most richest and powerful man there in that area or territory. All the work in the area might have went through him. If you wanted to get a job or you wanted to keep a job, you might have had to go through him. So maybe they weren't willing to rock that boat. Just as today, some churches turn the blind eye to the wealthy and the rich and the powerful who do certain things that should not do. But the church needs their contributions. Happens too much. Verse 11, 
Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. John then gives Gaius and gives us as well a, a beautiful warning here. Follow, that is imitate what is good. Don't follow what is evil. That seems so simple to say, isn't it? Hard to do sometimes. Follow that which is good, not that which is evil. The good is of God. The evil does not know God. Verse 12. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. John then gives a, another example to Gaius of one who is good. He's told about Diotrephes, one who's not good. He said, now I will tell you one who's good. Demetrius, he has a good report among all men. That is the general consensus of opinion of all people that that's a good man. And John says, I know him personally. I vouch for him. I could testify to how good and how faithful it is. And John said, you know my character is above reproach. Verse 13. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. John said, I got a whole lot more I want to say, but I want to say it to you face to face. You know, when we're away from people that we know and love and want to see again, we're thankful that we have the mail. We're thankful that we have the telephone, that we have social media, that we have emails to send. But there's nothing like being with that person face to face and looking them right in the eye and seeing that smile on their face. It's nothing like being with someone together. That's what John said. I got a lot more I want to say, but I, I, I wait till I see you. So verse 14, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. John said, I hope to see you soon. That's always a fond wish. When friends are separated, we, hope, we say that, don't we? I hope to see you soon. Hope to be together with you where we can see each other face to face. Hope to be with you. Notice what he says here. Greet your friends by name. Greet your brothers and sisters by name. It's one thing we need to be doing. Greeting one another by name. Calling one another by name. You know, it's been said that there is no sweeter sound to the human ear than the sound of their own name on someone's lips. And that's true. We like for people to remember who we are and to call us by our names. You know, I, I worked with a man one time. He had an awful habit. He could not remember anyone's name. And he'd start telling me about someone, and he'd call him, Oh, you remember, uh, dude. Everybody was always just dude. Well, uh, who ordered that? And who do Oh, you remember, uh, dude. Well, you cannot work with somebody day in and day out for several years without picking up their good habits and their bad habits. Can you guess what I do when I cannot recall a name to mind immediately? I'll be talking to Charlotte. And she, did you see somebody? Yeah, I did. Who did you see? Well, I saw a dude. And she's like, could you narrow it down a little bit? Oh, you know, Sharon's husband. Oh, Marty. Yeah, Marty, that's who I said. But 
There's nothing like the sound of our names on one another's lips. John has given us a beautiful word here. We see within these words of God that God has such great desires, hopes and expectations for each one of us because we are His children. He sits out in this words, in this one letter, penned by John through the pen of inspiration, how He wants us to act, how He wants us to behave, how He wants us to treat one another, most of all, how He wants us to love one another. John only wanted the best for Gaius. We should only want the best for one another as we as well give our best to God. This morning, are you giving your best to God? Or we might even say, have you given yourself to God on this morning. If you have not, now is a wonderful time to give yourself to Christ. Having heard the gospel, having believed in your heart, the opportunity and the invitation is extended unto you to come forward to confess your belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to be baptized and wash away your sins, being added unto God's kingdom, to begin your walk of faith in this life or if there be those in the audience this morning who have once named the name of Christ but have realized now that they've sadly left their first love. If you need to be restored, if you need the prayers of the church, if we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing?